the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times about the latest developments in the talks on a Brexit deal. Will Boris Johnson's decision to travel to Brussels for a meeting with Ursula von der Leyen deliver a breakthrough? But first, I'm joined on the line by two women running businesses in the retail and hospitality trades. Both were able to reopen last week after six weeks of level five lockdown restrictions. They explain how their businesses have coped in the pandemic to date and their hopes and expectations for next year. You'll hear first from Elaine Murphy, founder and director of the Winding Stair Restaurant Group, which encompasses a number of very popular Dublin restaurants, including the Winding Stair, the Woolen Mills, the Washerwoman, and the Legal Legal Gastropub in the shadow of the Forecourts. And you'll later hear from Jean McCabe, owner of the Willow Group, a fashion retailer in Ennis County Clare, and she's also deputy chair of Retail Excellence Ireland. Elaine, you're very welcome to Inside Business. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, reopening. You were able to reopen last week after the level five lockdown restrictions, which lasted for, what, six weeks, and Dublin had been in uh, lockdown restrictions before that. So you've been closed for a little while. How's it gone for you? Thanks, Karen. Yeah, we were closed. Uh, so I returned to work after maternity leave just before, a week before the last lockdown. Um, we had been open in two of our restaurants during that, 15 people outside only phase so we we managed to open the woolen mills and the washerwoman in Glasnevin just for the 15 um uh, which is obviously a very small number um so was, we were delighted to open last week um we opened on the friday um bookings were fairly strong in the sense that we had left our bookings open just in the hope that we would be able to open on some level which we were so we opened with relatively strong bookings obviously you know, one thing we found was there was a lot of people looking to um, have bigger numbers than they were allowed. So that was a that was an issue. And you, you'd have to make a call as an operator whether you're going to uh, go with that or whether you're going to obviously work by the rules, which is what we wanted, which is what we wanted to do. So we managed to open three out of five of our restaurants. The Legal Eagle, we didn't open for the remainder of December Um and for 2020, I suppose, because we just felt we couldn't stretch ourselves that far. There wasn't a huge amount of activity around the courts, which is always really strong client base for us. And we also didn't feel we could open the Woolen Mills kitchen. So we opened three out of five. So it went well. Um, you know, the, the sense of camaraderie just was incredible with people coming back. Hospitality staff are incredibly no- close-knit as a community. So they were just delighted. We know we were... We were all on a real buzz, very much a high when we opened um, and it was a good night. Yeah, and very much a sense that people haven't been locked down for so long. And this has been going on in one form or another since March, hasn't it? That people, particularly coming up to Christmas, just wanted to get out and go in the lash. Is that your experience? Yeah, they did. And actually, they uh, are, the overwhelming sense was support from the public. You know, um, one of the hardest things is obviously Christmas, you tend to do a slightly uh, more limited menu and it's usually a prefixe, you know, a set menu. Um, and we were wondering how that would fly with people, but especially because they were limited to one hour 45. And by far, the vast majority of people were just delighted. They were delighted to be there. They were delighted to have delicious food on any basis for any length of time. And yeah, the wine was flowing, that's for sure. Uh, people were just thrilled. I mean, I, I didn't feel that people were going demented, if you know what I mean. I felt like people were definitely um, just up for a good time. But our 
we have a very different dem- demographic in every restaurant. So let's say the winding stair would be slightly older. And mostly people were just being incredibly responsible, but just thrilled to be there. Yeah, sure. So uh, compare, let's say this year, um, December so far for you this year, would, how it would have been um, last year. What, how much capacity are you able to put into the market now for December this year, given the restrictions that are still in place? Um, and how, how would it compare with 12 months ago when there was no pandemic? Uh, we'd probably be at about 40% capacity. Um, we are, you know, we're lucky. It's funny that we often talk about our buildings by and large are quite big. They're large buildings, apart from the washerwoman in Glasnevin, which is small. And that can be, having bigger buildings can be really challenging in normal times because you have uh, lots of areas to staff um, and lots of demand from customers to sit in different areas when you might not have, um, have them open. But actually, it's been a little bit of a blessing for us at this point because we can actually open with our 40% capacity. A lot of people couldn't open because it wouldn't be economically justifiable to open at 40%. If you have a very, very small space, you just simply can't open with at 40% of that. So we found uh, that was a real advantage for us. I mean, I say an advantage, but we're still operating at, you know, fractions of the revenue, real small fractions. And um, there's no corporate, so there's no large booking. There's no group bookings of any sort over six. So it's all domestic dining, so to speak, not, you know, not not big spends apart from the food and the bottle of wine. Um, people are happy to be there and happy to spend. But, you know, the, the difference in revenue would be quite dramatic. Are you making money? Uh, we are washing our face right now. But I suppose, look, you know, it, a lot of people will say this and it sounds it sounds a little altruistic and over the top, but a lot of us in the business are opening to bring back our staff. So, you know, you'll see people doing lots of at home and um, uh, takeaway and some of it is literally washing its face, but employing people back. So there's a, there's a fair amount of that involved. We, we definitely are washing our face right now. Um, to be honest, the big worry for us is uh, is probably Q2 of next year. There's a, there's a sense that we might roll this busyness or at least a little bit of activity into January. I heard uh, Leo Radker this morning talking about further restrictions in January. So that's going to be obviously always aimed at hospitality. Um, if we go back to a little bit of a lockdown and then and we roll as we roll forward into April, for instance, there'll be most likely no supports. And what's keeping us afloat, when I say we're washing our face, we're washing our face with those massive supports. So the the wage support, the wage supplement scheme is is keeping everyone going. Without that in Q2 of next year, I think we're, you know, it's a challenge. And that that's something we're not talking about. We're not hearing people talk about that. Yeah, and actually, I mean, Tony Holohan and, and Neffet, it's been reported that they, they've written a letter to the government. They warned that the numbers are going in the wrong direction again now and a warning that there might need to be further restrictions uh, imposed in January. I mean, can a business like yours survive another lockdown? We've done some, I mean, we've we've done some some looking at that, um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 you know, I don't want to say we, we won't survive because I hope that we will survive. But, you know, what we're looking at is what we've, what we've recounted for is a fairly strong January and a fairly tough Q2, as I was saying. And we're still looking at, you know, 80, 70, 60% revenue if, if 
if that's if we do well, a lockdown would be extremely difficult. I mean, one of my problems with lockdown is that a lockdown is not a strategy. It's it's intended to support a strategy. And without the strategy of, you know, really mass testing and contact tracing, a lockdown is it does nothing because it just temporary buys you t- temporarily buys you time. So it's going to be difficult for us if there's another lockdown for sure. And th- the indications were pretty strong this morning. Now, I'm also delighted to be joined on the line by Jean McCabe, owner of the Willow Group of Fashion Retailers uh, with an outlet in Ennis. And she's also Deputy Chair of Retail Excellence Ireland, one of the industry bodies. Uh, Jean, you're very welcome to Inside Business. Uh, tell us about uh, the experience of the Willow Group since you reopened uh, earlier this month. Thanks for having me. Um, definitely seen a, a pent up demand and uh, very much so the, the conscious shopper is out supporting local, which is great. Um, we have found that I suppose the customer experience is very different now. They are more into shop as opposed to browsing. So that actually has really helped with capacity in store. There hasn't been any issues around numbers or too much queuing. Um, people are definitely more patient in waiting also and they're very understanding in that. I've noticed that the customer is, um, very comfortable actually in the retail space shopping. There doesn't seem to be any issue around or they're not cautious around trying on clothes or so forth like that. I think they're very aware that retail has has provided a very safe environment for people to shop. And I suppose they're more educated and mindful of all the procedures that retailers have put in place to ensure that those elements like trying on and so forth are possible and that they're all sanitized and, you know, that it, it's safe to do so. Um, we, we found the, la- the first week has really been phenomenal um, in store. I have never seen numbers like it for, for the first week in December. Um, and I would be hopeful that it would last, uh, up to the Christmas period, um, which is great because it would definitely help with the burden of being locked down during November. Yeah. So when, when you say phenomenal, what, what do you mean? Let's put some, uh, let's put some meat on the bone as, as it were. How would it compare with the first week of December 12 months ago? Oh, I'd say t- t- 250-300% up, definitely on the week. And that's in store, that's footfall in store, people actually buying at your till. That that's sales. So um like we would I would say that footfall is uh, definitely up on that same period last year, but um, when you look at those numbers, it, it wouldn't compare. It's actually conversion that's driving the real sales volume. So people are in buying and buying more, and and they're converting much higher. I think anyone that's out and about in shops at the moment are out out to buy. They're not out to browse, um, and and that's definitely helped. What's the best seller, Jean? Oh God, I don't know. I can't keep anything on stock at the moment. <laughs> Um, the, the issue at the moment is trying to get enough uh, stock, but definitely all it's all gifting, an awful lot of gifting and a lot of um, actual dresses and items like that for, for going out for dinner. Um, we have seen uh, everyone kind of drawn towards that area. Knitwear, anything and everything at the moment, really, which is which is fantastic. So our, our struggle at the moment is trying to, one, have enough people on the floor and uh, two, to keep the stock replenished. Now, tell us about e-commerce. Did you pivot towards e-commerce when the lockdown came? earlier this year, were you already in that space uh, prior to the pandemic? And how has it changed your mix of business? Um, yes, yeah, so we would have been online with the, probably the last five or six years. Um, so we had a nice base to work off of. But uh, during the lockdown period, we um, really had a had a really robust, robust trading period online. Like everybody, our customer migrated online. And we've actually, during the first lockdown, we literally had the whole team in and everyone was kind of retrained and thrown into new roles. Um, and we were really focused on driving our social media and driving 
sessions and and page views over to the website, which which really helped. Um, and we used the period then the last period we, we've brought in one or two people into the team, uh, gaps of expertise that we just didn't have. So they have since joined us um, and are having a real impact on the business at the moment. And we have a new facility for fulfillment and um, our online space and kind of a HQ, as you say, uh, we took that on during the summer period. So we kind of we've used this opportunity for lockdown to really reposition ourselves and use use it as a chance to kind of embed that online customer um, and to really grow that online experience for our customers. Um, and we have seen like, you know, we're shipping all over the country, really. We're more national than we are international, but um, it's been great. And the support locally also from our customers has been fantastic. And the team here in store have really adapted and helped pivot and everyone's on board and everyone's really enjoying kind of new roles and a new way of doing business um, within Willow, which is great. So I suppose we've made the most out of the pandemic. Um, there's two ways I kind of look at it. You can bury your head in the sand or you can, you know, run up the hill and, and see where you can go with it. And um, that's the way I kind of looked at it. I said, geez, we've nothing to lose. So let's let's throw everything at it and see where we get. And that's what we've done. So thank God it's worked out OK. Yeah, well, good to hear about that positive experience. And obviously things are going uh, going well for you in Ennis at the minute. But unfortunately, you did have to close your Galway outlet. Isn't that right? Yeah, so we we closed our Galway store in September. So I, probably over the last year, even pre pre pandemic, you know, kind of January February, we could see the footfall was falling in Galway. And Galway is such a tourist destination, um, and I just knew the next year or two was going to be tough there when you take out that tourist element. So we had an opt out of our lease, and you know, sometimes you have to realise your your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And uh, I, I knew I wanted to put my focus into our online and uh, growing that space. I saw what we done during the first lockdown, and I knew what we could achieve if the focus was put on that. And that was really the decision why we why we did close the store obviously very sad to see it go but um and and our call customers but thankfully they're still shopping with us online and uh we were able to bring some of our team with us our, our team from Galway back down to Ennis so um it didn't work out too bad. Jean as mentioned with Elaine earlier the travel of direction if you like in terms of the numbers since the lockdown restriction level five lockdown restrictions were lifted um is uh isn't good and Neffet and Tony Holohan have written to the government and and they've said that you know the numbers are going in the wrong direction um and there there might be a need for more restrictions in January how would that impact your business and do you think if there are more restrictions imposed in January that retail uh, non-essential retail should be closed as it was during the last level five well, I, I think, OK, you know, it's kind of I think we all expected that or expect that we would probably see a restriction again in January. Um, but as a retailer, I would have I would have I would have had that I would have been glad of that trade off to get the opportunity at a proper bite of Christmas versus January. Um, the impact on retail uh, being closed again, you know, retail has actually proven to be one of the, the safest environments on less than 1% of COVID cases have been traced back to retail. So retail is not a cause of numbers going up. Um, and I think that's well publicised. So our, through the role in retail excellence, um, our managing director, Graham, or Duncan Graham, has been lobbying government and had been up to this point to for them to include all retail as essential because it, it isn't it isn't an area that um is a concern to, for spreading spreading the the covid but so I would hope be hope that the government would consider keeping all retail open in in January should that be the case um we'll have to wait and see but I think for some retailers and for ourselves January is a quite month in store um 
Uh, our focus will be all about online and, you know, keeping connected with your customer, reminding them that you're there, you know, helping facilitate them through personal shopping appointments, virtually anything that you can do, click and collect. It's it's about staying connected. And I think that's the, the main message for a lot of small businesses. You know, you have to stay connected to your customer because they'll forget about you pretty quick. We're all being bombarded so much at the moment with social media, advertising, everyone's, you know, trying their best to get in front of you. And if you're not there at the front, in the, at the forefront, you'll be forgotten about quite quickly. Whether you're online or not online, it, it's about keeping that connection. And uh, if you can do that, I think customers are definitely willing and are um, walking through the door doors of those businesses that they saw during lockdown that were putting in the effort. Elaine Murphy, can I just ask you, are there any issues around staffing that you're encountering at the minute, even though you have reduced capacity? Uh, and I know not all of your venues are open at the minute. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in actual fact, I think it's interesting listening to the, the story from retail, just to, to, just to mention before we talk about staffing that they're often put together, hospitality and retail in terms of the COVID, the pandemic, but actually the experiences are very, very different. So, you know, retail has seen quite, quite an uplift. Apologies for that. Um, as opposed to hospitality, which has seen the opposite. And obviously it's, it's difficult for us to be online in terms of serving the amount of customers that we can. So there's a very, there are very distinct, um, industries, which is often not recognized, I think, in the media. But, um, just in terms of staffing, absolutely. We're, we're finding, I mean, I, would be a pains to say that one of the challenges to staffing is probably not the 350 PUP payment because that's been quite quite widely discussed that people are saying it's a disincentive to come back to work. What we're actually finding is that the pause in work has given people the opportunity to um, take a moment and consider if they wanted to change career. So there's, there's a number of factors, you know, so we've found that our staff have gone, some of them have gone home during the lockdown, have gone home to different counties. Some of them have gone home to different countries. Some of them have decided that they can change their lifestyle quite substantially. They want to live outside the cities. They want to go back to college um, or they want to change career. So we are finding staffing a real challenge, but it's for various different reasons. And I, I think I would be really at pains to point that out. It's not, a lot of people are assuming it's because the 350 payment disincentivizes them, but actually there's a number of factors. Uh, Jean, Elaine uh, mentioned earlier that she's a little bit fearful about the future in the sense that when government supports are withdrawn, it's hard to know uh, what level of business will be there and, and you know, uh, about viability, I, I guess. Um, what's your take on it? Uh, will your business be able to survive, for example, without um, government wage subsidy schemes or, you know, a break on, on uh, commercial rates and, and those kind of supports that have been introduced? Yeah, it's it's going to be um, a challenge when that does come to the fruition that the support's no longer there. Like for us, you know, we literally threw the kitchen sink at our online and that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't have the manpower behind them behind us. And that was because the wage subsidy was there and everybody was able to work their full hours and we could really, you know, use it as a chance to, I suppose, get a foundation underneath us online. Um, so like for if from that sense, it was a fantastic um scheme I would be fearful that in this maybe third and fourth quarter next year is when we will see the damage caused by COVID um you know there will be okay if there's a lockdown in the new year and we have supports that will carry us through into summer the hope of having the vaccine will will keep us all keep us all going but it'll be the second half of next year I would see that there could be some fatalities as the supports are removed the legacy rent issues are are still there you know Landlords are still looking for full payment of rents whilst doors are closed, which just doesn't make sense. It isn't possible. And through the role in retail excellence, we had been lobbying government to 
uh, put in place a fair arbitration process that makes it transparent so that landlords and tenants can can have a sharing of the pain and that's negotiated in a, in a fair context. At the moment, there is an arbitration process there, but it's completely biased towards uh, landlords and isn't anywhere fair towards the, te- the tenant. So we've been covering, calling on government to, to deal with that issue because the solution's there. Um, it's not legal. It's 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 something that they can deal with because government have been clear they won't deal with commercial rents um, or commercial law. This this is something ta- tangible. So um, you know we've been pushing for them to do something about it. Again, they'll have to be definitely a break on on rates. Also, um, it's about keeping those costs as low as possible for businesses as we face into the second half of next year because that's when the the pain will be felt. Yeah, of course, landlords, I suppose, will argue that they have their own bills to pay and their own commitments to, to meet as well. So, uh, but anyway, we won't get into that. That's a, that's probably for uh, another day. Um, but just, just looking towards next year, I mean, at some point, the government will be withdrawing these uh, supports, I guess, probably on a phase basis, maybe. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. There has been some positive news, obviously, with the rollout or the beginning of the rollout of the vaccine in Britain and indeed in Northern Ireland. And Simon Coveney said last night that it would begin in Ireland in the first half of January. I'm not sure how long it's going to take, but I suppose there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I'm just wondering, let's say by the middle of, by the middle of next year, um, let's hope that everybody uh, who wants a vaccine has had a vaccine. How many businesses uh, in your sector um, who are just hanging on now, how many of them do you think might go to the wall? Have you any sense of that? God, that's like looking into a crystal ball. I think for a lot of businesses, it's about it's it's not even the financial bit of it. It's actually having the energy to reinvent yourself again, and that's the bit for a small business. When you're self-employed or you've taken over a family business, it's 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 going to come down to how passionate you are about reinventing yourself, putting everything at it, and making the most of it, or whether you have the energy for that again. Because you know there's a certain amount of energy, especially geez, I look at the guys in hospitality, in uh, hotels and restaurants, and and you know bars only getting open for a week, but even just having the energy to pull everything together and get it all back open for your doors to close again. Um, you know, it is soul destroying. So I suppose that's that's the biggest question. It's whether businesses have the energy to to keep going. Um, I, you'd be hopeful that when you look at the whole world that is in this pandemic, that, you know, every country in the European Union will throw a load of money at this to stimulate the economies. And your only hope is that that, that does happen, that, we, that they don't retreat and go, OK, we've already spent enough and we're going to have to pull back here. You'd be hopeful that the um, central bank and so forth would put uh, a stimulus, big stimulus package together to ensure that, that we get the ball rolling in the second half of next year when some normality returns. Same question for you, Elaine. Any sense of how many uh, businesses, how many restaurants in the hospitality trade might be left standing when the dust finally settles on COVID? Uh, we will be very fearful of the of the closures that will happen. I mean, the thing about it is, as I was saying earlier, I, I don't think they're going to happen um, in January and February. I think I think the real dust will settle in Q2, Q3. And um, for our sector, obviously, one of the most substantial parts of it is uh, tourism overseas visitors. So we're not we're really not sure when that will happen again. Will it be the summer? Will it be the end of the summer or the beginning of the summer? Our normal uh, January, February, March is difficult for hospitality anyway. So our turning point tends to be um, Patrick's Day around the middle of March. But we just don't know when that's going to happen in terms of overseas travel. And as I was saying, uh, the supports are really keeping us afloat and um, you know the the relaunching of the restaurants is difficult every time you close and open you have substantial costs and you also have 
you know, on scenes, on unforeseen, like fridges breaking when you turn them off and turn them back on again. We had a lot of that, you know, uh, extraction systems malfunctioning. There's, there's a, there are an awful lot of hidden costs. So uh, we would be really fearful about what happens in Q2 of next year in terms of restaurants, particularly smaller restaurants, um, independent restaurants. There are many, many of them in Dublin, especially. Uh, but around the, the country, the overseas travel will have a huge impact. Gene, a lot of people saying that uh, the onset of COVID has accelerated the demise of bricks and mortar retail. What's your view? Um, I, I think COVID has definitely forced people online that would have never shopped online before. But I actually would be uh, really hopeful that bricks and mortar, um, it isn't the dem- demise of it. So I, I'll give you an example. There was actually an article today by um, the CEO of Pennies that, that wrote about bricks and mortar and how it, it's not dead. But for, from my own experience, so if you look at all the small businesses that have gone online over the last five months, what's been achieved there wouldn't have happened in five years. And I, I'll give, Click and Collect is a big part of that. So for us, 50% of our orders are local to us that come into us. And of them, a quarter will pick them up in store. So 25% of all orders are walking in to Ennis in our door uh, to collect their order. Now, you picture 50 businesses on the street that all of a sudden are now online and now have that option. People have the convenience of being able to shop at home, but they also the convenience of being able to pop in the door and collect it that day and go for lunch or and get their hair done. So I actually think that the online space could be a big feature in helping keep town centres and rural communities and city centres alive because it's making them relevant in today's world. People have the convenience of being able to shop at home, but also they have the security of being able to walk in their door, collect it, try it on and have that social interaction. So I actually think this is probably, you know, there is going to be a shining light at the end of all of it. And and I think that piece could be it. Elaine, how I mean, the vaccine will begin to be rolled out here uh, from the middle of January, I think. I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get everybody vaccinated. But how long do you think um, the the various measures and protocols that you've introduced in your uh, restaurants, um, how long do you think it'll be before they're unwound, before people can take off their masks, before you get rid of the perspex, before, you know, you stop worrying about um, uh, deep cleans and stuff like that? Um, I think we're probably looking at Midsummer, end of summer, six to nine months before the vaccine gets rolled out right down the various demographics. But um, I think that, you know, one thing it's shown us here for sure is that people are social animals more than anything else. If, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's shown that we need to be together. So I definitely don't think it's going to have a long term impact on people wanting to be in town, be in shops, be in restaurants. Um, you know, our measures are are things that we can keep. You know, there is no problem with having multiple hand sanitizers and mask wearing while you move between tables and to the bathroom. Um, those are measures that we could definitely keep in place as long as necessary. You know, that, that doesn't affect our business. Um, where the difficulty lies for us is when they will be allowed to have larger groups at tables and longer time spent in the restaurants. Um, and that's really the challenge for us. Uh, but it could it could be up to nine months, I think, in my opinion. But it's crystal balling, as, again, as you were saying. Yeah. Jean, do you think any industries, there will be any industries that will require people to show proof of having had a vaccination before, let's say, they're allowed in store, before they can take off their mask or anything like that? Um, God, I haven't, I hadn't thought that far ahead now. Um, I don't know. It, I suppose it depends on, I think a lot of the industries have, have managed to uh, function with the masks and the protocols that have been placed so far. Um, I, I I don't, maybe travel might be an area that you could see that the proof of having the vaccine so you can move freely might be an area that, that would look at it. 
All right. Final word to you, Jean. Um, if there was one thing you could ask the government to do to support your sector, what would it be? Um, one thing. Okay. Um, there's so many. I think a uh, uh, rates uh, to deal with the issue around rents, commercial rents would be a big, would have a massive impact on the sector because it's actually been an issue that's been there well before COVID, but it's been really highlighted during the COVID period. I think it should be a fair sharing of the pain between the landlord and the tenant, and it should be a fair arbitration process between the two. All right, Elaine Murphy and Jim McCabe, thank you for your time. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be talking about Brexit, the Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. At Davy, the best conversations are always more than one way. We know it's even more important to listen than it is to talk. It's how we get to know our clients personally, by listening to you carefully and understanding what's important to your life, your family and your future. Then we can talk about a financial life plan that will suit you best. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Welcome back to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. I'm joined on the line now by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times for an update on the Brexit trade deal talks between the EU and the United Kingdom. Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining Inside Business. So here we are, four and a half years on from Brexit. We still don't have sight of the relationship agreement that's going to exist between uh, Britain and the European Union, or in fact, if there is going to be one or not. Uh, we're coming right down to the wire. The end of the year is the deadline. Boris Johnson is on his way to Brussels today to meet Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, to try and hopefully um, hammer out a deal on those remaining issues. Uh, just just bring us up to speed on where those issues are at and what your view is of the potential for an agreement. Yeah, it's the same issues, Kieran, as it has been now for uh, for the last couple of years, really, in terms of the in terms of the key ones. So we're told that 90, 95% of the agreement has been reached, that the legal text has been done up, but these few sticking points remain. One of the key ones has has been fisheries and access, particularly of EU boats into UK territorial waters post-Brexit. Uh, it seems like there might be a deal, some kind of arrangement done on that, uh, room to fudge in terms of reviewing things after a few years. And, and in reality, a lot of the noise coming from Britain uh, kind of ignores the fact that they also need access for their fish to EU markets. And also that uh, the British fleet is, is actually... A lot of it has been sold off to foreign operators, so their, their ability to take up all the fishing rights and all the fishing quotas in, in their territorial waters in the short term just, just isn't there. But the really big issue, it, it appears uh, late in the day, is the level playing field, free, fair competition. And Angela Merkel was talking uh, to the Bundestag this morning, giving her traditional uh, address before she heads off to the EU Council, and she, she laid it all out particularly clearly. It, it does appear that there's agreement or there is agreement uh, on both sides uh, that the EU and the UK are prepared to adhere to standards as they are now in terms of the environment, in terms of labour standards, workers' rights and all those kind of things. What's proving difficult to negotiate is what happens if one side improves their, uh, improves their standards in future. And the EU is particularly nervous that it, if it introduces, for example, new environmental legislation that imposes costs on businesses or workers' rights legislation then, and the UK doesn't follow, then UK companies would have 
access to EU markets on a more competitive basis because their costs would be lower. And also the possibility that the UK government could step in and, and, and provide them with state aid. This is a really a really knotty problem because the UK are saying, OK, we're, we're willing to, to, to set the level playing field, if you like, where we are now at the moment. But if you expect us to continue to adhere to EU standards in future, then we're not able to diverge. We're not able to follow our own path. We're not able to, you know, deliver what Brexit was meant to deliver. And, and that's, that's really the crunch sticking point where there's some kind of, a, some kind of an agreement can, can, can be reached on that. Sure. So Boris Johnson is on his way. I suppose that's very symbolic. He hasn't gone to Brussels uh, thus far, has he, uh, throughout these negotiations. So the fact that he's actually making this trip and he's meeting Ursula von der Leyen, um, th- their trade negotiating teams have decided they can't go any further. It's up to the two big beasts, uh, political beasts, if you like, in this negotiation to decide if a compromise can be found on these key issues. There was a, a little bit of chink of light yesterday in terms of the, the old Northern Ireland backstop um, and th- there seems to be agreement on that now, thankfully, which is good news for us. But if we don't get agreement this evening um, or in the next couple of days, then presumably we're heading for WTO territory, which would be very bad news for the Irish agri-food sector, wouldn't it? I mean, what is it, five and a half billion worth of exports and tariffs could add about one and a half billion? Uh, the, the tariffs could be, generate one and a half billion um, in relation to those exports. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Northern Ireland agreement was good news for Ireland, as you say, it does appear to take off the table this fear that there might be pressure to reinstate the Irish border because the Northern Ireland Protocol and those checks didn't work properly. Interesting to see how tonight goes. I don't think it's going to be a detailed negotiating session um, because I, you know, that's just not what Prime Ministers and, and, and Commission Presidents do, even though they have their teams with them. I don't think they're going to be rolling up their sleeves and staying there till two in the morning and try and reach a deal. I, I could be proved wrong. What they're going to try and do is, I guess, try and find a way to unblock some of those key problems. Uh, and then, as uh, again, as Angela Merkel was saying this morning, the negotiating teams would regather probably on Friday morning to try and put flesh on, on, on those bones to try and, and reach a final agreement. So this could easily run through next weekend. I, th- I think we either come to a position tonight where both sides say, look, there isn't a way forward, or the negotiators give it another last go, and, and who knows what the deadline will, will be. Remember a few days ago, Michel Barnier was saying that today was the deadline. That's been quietly forgotten about. Um, you're right on Irish agriculture, and either way now, there's big, you know, there's, there's, there, there's significant extra work for Irish companies trading with the UK. Uh, the first time they're going to, in, in many years, they're going to have to complete customs forms. There's a lot of bureaucracy there. There's the risk of delays. Secondly, there's the risk of delays going through the land bridge uh, from uh, from Ireland to continental Europe, and this is good. This, these risks apply whether there is a trade deal or not. Though, though it's likely to be worse if there isn't one, because the goodwill to try and sort things out won't be there. And you're right, the agri-food sector, and particularly beef, is very much in the firing line uh, for kind of historic reasons. If there isn't a deal, for historic reasons, the tariff levels on food and particularly on on, on bigger items like beef are particularly high. So, and 40, 40, 45% of Irish beef, of Irish beef exports go to the UK market because that's the market that has been most lucrative for Irish beef. Uh, British consumers have similar tastes to us. The prices for Irish exporters have been good there. So, you know, we've stuck with that market and it's been very good to us. But the the real crunch of the problem uh, for Ireland, if there is no deal, is that tariffs will apply 
to those exports probably from day one but certainly from you know from 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 soon enough uh, and and that is effectively going to price a lot of Irish beef out of the UK market it just won't be competitive because the tariffs are 50 60 70 percent uh, British consumers aren't going to pay that price uh, the Irish producers aren't going to be able to cut their, their margins because their margins are very tight as it is. Uh, so it's going to leave a real conundrum. And we've seen, for example, the IFA saying, well, look, you're going to have to stop imports uh, into the EU market from, from, other country, from other third countries to allow Irish beef and, and beef from other EU countries to find a new market. But that's not the kind of thing that, that can be done overnight. So that really is the crux of the issue. The difference for, uh, for Irish business uh, there's going to be new customs procedures and new costs, whatever happens. But if there's no deal, there's going to be tariffs and, and the risk of greater disruption and delays. And that's really what's at stake here. Cliff, what's your sense? Deal or no deal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I have a penny for every time I've been asked that over the last few days, uh, I guess I've been, on the, I've been on the deal team all along. And I suppose like supporting a football team, you really shouldn't be allowed change in midstream. Uh, so I guess I'll stick with it um, because it seems to be the logical thing to do. That said, I mean, I think uh, my faith has been tested uh, severely in the last in the last few weeks. It does appear that the the whole thing nearly nearly broke down um, nearly broke down earlier this week when Britain put extra demands on the table in terms of fisheries. Uh, it was pulled back from the brink. There has been a bit of progress, as you say, with the Northern Ireland Protocol over the last few days. And what's going to happen tonight? Uh, are we going to see the two sides saying, you know, agreeing to? To part, however, amicably, or are we going to see the negotiators back in Brussels on Friday? I, I think they might give it one more go. Okay, well, we'll uh, we won't hold your feet to the fire on that one, Cliff. And you've been a loyal supporter of Leeds as well as uh, as well as a deal on Brexit as well. So um, I, I think you deserve a bit of luck now at this stage. Uh, we, we'll see how it goes, and we might get you back on Inside Business um, to talk this through at a later date. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll leave it there, Cliff Taylor. Uh, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Elaine Murphy, Jim McCabe and Cliff Taylor. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe. 